This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. I love me some overreaction Monday. It's my favorite show of the week, to be quite honest with you. As far as that goes, let me uh, make a public service announcement as far as the um, in-house stuff goes here for our little program moving forward. As you probably know, you know, when we signed on to do this show, we knew full well that it comes with risks and it comes with dangers. And a couple of those dangers happen to be the Knicks and the Rangers. Not that they're danger. I'm kidding. You know what I mean. But once Knicks and Rangers season starts here on 98.7, which will be happening next week as far as the hockey, our little program is not going to be on each and every night faithfully as you come to expect it. So what does that mean? Well, again, starting next week, no different than when Chris had the show, when Alan had the show before us, we're going to be on sporadically. We're not going to be on every single night once the hockey season and the basketball season starts, but we will let you know what days we're on, when we're on. You don't have to worry about any of those things. You know, you follow me on Twitter. We're always going to post when we're on, how long, even if it's an abbreviated show. They're going to have me probably doing some other slots during the day from time to time. You will be able to get this show. And you know what? Even from time to time, we'll even put some stuff on the good old app on the show podcast page just so you can consume some grassa content on any given day if you're having a craving for it. So I am not leaving you. I am not going anywhere. I will still be very much around, but, you know, we're going to have to maybe just adjust the schedule a little bit. So that is our uh, little PSA for you as we move forward, and that all gets underway next week. So this is the last week that our show is not going to be interrupted in any way, shape, or form. So enjoy it for what it is that being said (laughs) as i say it's not going to be interrupted on wednesday so two days from now uh, i will be doing the k show with my buddy don lagreca so it'll be a don and dan k show because michael's going to be off doing the yankees in the season finale against texas peter's going to be off so i'll be doing k with don on wednesday and on friday of this week i will be filling in for greenie once again at 10 a.m So we will talk to you Friday morning on a day that is now certainly a lot more important and a lot more significant as far as you and I concerned because that's the day that the Mets are probably going to be kicking off their postseason because they're going to have to go the wild card route after their brilliant performance this weekend down there in Atlanta against the Bravos. As far as the Mets, they're rained out tonight. They're going to try to get a doubleheader in tomorrow beginning at 4 o'clock. I say try because the forecast is even worse for tomorrow. So we'll see where that goes. However, as fate would have it on the out-of-town scoreboard, the Marlins are actually doing the Mets a solid tonight. They have a 4-0 lead in the bottom of the eighth inning over the Atlanta Braves. Marlins struck for two in the first, two more in the third. Brian De La Cruz has driven in uh, four run, or three of the four runs tonight for Miami. And Jesus Lazardo went out there and pitched a gem. Six shutout innings, 12 strikeouts. Uh, so the Marlins are just three outs away from at least extending the lifeline of the New York Mets for at least another day to maybe win the National League East. So you got that going for you. As far as the Yankees are concerned, they've opened up a 3 nothing lead in Texas right now in the top of the eighth inning. Yanks have gotten solo home runs in this frame from Marwin Gonzalez and Giancarlo Stanton. None from Aaron Judge. Judge is one for four tonight with a strikeout. And in all probability, his night is done, at least in terms of at-bats. But the Yanks have a 3 nothing lead. But the big story, 
and this I'm sure is going to be a talking point again. Luis Severino is the story tonight because Luis Severino has seven no-hit innings under his belt, as you and I are speaking. 94 pitches, but if you pop open your little mobile device or whatever you use to, you know, check the date, the time, the year, all those things, you'll notice that it's 2022. And in 2022 in Major League Baseball, guys with no-hitters, guys with perfect games don't ordinarily get a chance to finish off said no-hitter or said perfect game. And Severino, coming off of the lengthy layoff that he had this year, given the fact that he's already a card-carrying member of the Tommy John Surgery Club, 94 pitches, Aaron Boone basically said, all right, man, your night is done. He wasn't happy, but he's in the dugout now celebrating them hitting home runs and, you know, extending the lead a little bit longer to where he at least would get W, but he's not going to get a no-hitter. And like I said, I know a lot of people, especially if you're old school, you're going to be disappointed by this. How do you take him out? How do you not give him a chance to finish this thing off? It's history. And normally I'd be right there with you. I don't have an issue with this. I really don't. Because if I would have told you Severino throws a no-hitter tonight in Texas, And then the next time he goes out there in the playoffs against whoever that might be, you know, he's struggling with his command, whatever. He's got tired arm, tired shoulder, something like that. And he has to cut his start short and he can't deliver in the postseason and he's not the guy that you need. Would you still get all warm and fuzzy inside thinking about the no-hitter in Texas? Probably not. Probably not. And I was talking with my buddy Tom Bauer during the break and he pointed out, and very astutely, that once upon a time, Corey Kluber threw a no-hitter in Texas. Remember? Remember the Yankees? And the end was near after that night for Mr. Kluber as a Yankee as far as his durability and his health on the mound. And Kluber was also somebody who was dealing with a track record of injuries. So the Yanks don't need to go there. Yankees need as many capable, healthy bodies, especially when it comes to that starting rotation, as they possibly can. Or else they're not going deep into the playoffs. You know, Cortez, Cole... Severino, you give me these three guys, that's something to work with. Severino pitching like this is something to work with. I can't sit there and go all in yet on Jamison Tyone. I mean, he's going to be there. He's going to be available. But I don't know if I, like, trust him as if we've known each other forever. I, I, I can't do that. Can't do it. But having Severino, this guy's like the X factor almost. He really is. I said, Glaber Torres is the X factor in the lineup. Severino's the X factor when you talk about this starting rotation. If he is top flight Severino, I feel different about this pitching staff. Because I don't know if I could trust Cole. Cole's not the stopper that he's made out to be. Cole ain't the guy that they gave $324 million to, and I think we know why. Can't keep the ball in the yard. Nestor Cortez is the pitcher I trust the most out of any Yankee starting pitcher. And, and, and when in a million years did you think I'd be able to say that? Or any of us? Given where he came from, what his story is, and really, he doesn't have any sort of a track record of postseason success or postseason anything. Nestor Cortez is a journeyman. But he's found the home here. And if you're the Yankees, you catch lightning in a bottle and you try to ride this thing out. That's exactly what you do. But the judge thing is, you know... Look, if you've been paying attention outside of New York, like you got an evidence of this on Saturday with the college football. Like ESPN is doing the live look-ins with Aaron Judge every single one of his at-bats, and they got college football games all over the place around the clock on Saturday. 
People outside of New York were outraged. Like, they could care less about Aaron Judge. And I could see their point. I really and truly can. Because given of a certain age, depending on how old you are, if you're, let's say, 30 years old or younger, and you're a baseball fan, you probably only know the steroid guys as the home run kings and the home run record. You might acknowledge Barry Bonds in 73 is the record. Or even McGuire, or even Sosa, what those guys did. And you're saying to yourself, like, oh, there's a bunch of guys that passed Roger Maris before. Why the hell do I care about Aaron Judge? I don't think they get caught up into this, like, American League versus National League thing. I think that they could care less about that. So, if you're not in New York, this means nothing to you. And now here I am, somebody in this city, part of this community, and I'm judged out. Judged out. I've got judge fatigue. I really and truly do. You know, if that's going to be like a calling card, we're going to, you know, I've got judge fatigue. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other you that, a lot of you that have judge fatigue, regardless of what team you root for. You might be football fans and really don't care at all about baseball, and you're tired of hearing about this. And not for nothing, I mean, it's going to be ridiculous here because what makes it worse is that the Yankees have everything wrapped up. They know when their playoff run is starting. They just got to figure out who it's against. But these games mean absolutely nothing. And you're sitting there waiting for this guy who may or may not hit a home run and who may or may not get even a pitch or two worth hitting, depending on how the opposition is even willing to approach this thing. It's like, why are we wasting our time with this? Seriously, like enough is enough. Like yesterday, we're doing the Jets. It's a football day. And ju- I'm like, I, 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 Judge was the farthest thing from my mind yesterday. If I wasn't doing the show tonight, I could care less if he was going to hit the home run or not. It's done. It's over. It's finished. And now you got to sit there for three more days and three or three more games and wait for him to maybe or maybe not hit one more home run. Like, uh, I'm good. He had a great year. Give him the MVP award. Give him a blank check in the offseason. Maybe he signs it. Maybe he doesn't. Or he goes to the highest bidder. But I'm done of this, like, losing sleep over whether or not Judge hits a home run or he doesn't hit a home run. He he has 61. If he doesn't hit another one, you know what? He had a damn good year. A damn good year. And the people that will probably be really furious are the Maris family, that they had to travel around like rock and roll groupies to how many different Yankee games and how many different cities, countries, just to see Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs, to which he never was able to do. People got lives, you know? They have responsibilities. I mean, I don't know if they got to knock off work. I don't know what the Maris family does. Like, is Roger Maris Jr., what does he do? Does he work, does he work in retail? Does he, have, does he have a desk job? Like, what, what does he do? Is he a driver's ed instructor? What does Roger Maris do? But I can imagine if he does have an obligation and a responsibility, right? Oh, the no-hitter is over, and it wasn't even Luis Severino. It was Miguel Castro, the former Met legend, who gives up a home uh, a base hit. So the no-hitter's over. No combined no-hitter tonight. But Roger Maris Jr., like, if he's asking, like, his superior or his boss or whatever, what he should, you know, hey, you know what, I need another week. Well, he's taking two, three weeks off of work here straight to go watch Aaron Judge. And I'm sure, like, the, the, the bosses probably have, like, sat him down in the office or got him on a Zoom call here of late and said, hey, Rog, you know, you got you to gotta make a choice here. You're going to go around being, like, silly baseball fan guy or are you going to actually be committed to the job? Because we need you here, buddy. We don't need you out on the road watching the Yankees and watching Aaron Judge, you know, continue to spit the bit trying to hit that 60-second home run. We need you here. You know, we got a shipment coming in from Des Moines next week. We need you to account for it. This is where you're needed. This is your home, man. 
I don't know. That's like the fictitious world that I live in, and I like so want it to be true, but I don't know if it is. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. When we come back, we will go around the league and recap what was another wild week four in the National Football League. Dan Gross' show till 10. It is an overreaction Monday right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Real quick, Monday Night Football, the Niners. A couple of Jim, well, Jimmy G's got one touchdown pass, one to Debo Samuel minutes ago. 14-6, the home team over the Rams late in the first half. Jimmy G, a buck 32 and a touchdown. So they are off and running here in what will get them to 2-2. Two and two. And if the Rams lose, they're 2-2 two and two as well. All right, let's get to a little around the league for a week number four in the NFL. And you got some morning football on Sunday in London across the pond. Vikings and the Saints. You know what? It wasn't a primetime game. So that means good things for Kirk Cousins. 273 and a touchdown. And you had a double doink from Will Lutz who tried for the game-tying 61-yarder. His time expired, but he missed it. Vikings win it to go to 3-1. and one. Saints drop to 1-3. and three. Saints were without Jameis Winston, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. So you had Andy Dalton who started the game. That being said, they still nearly pulled it off. But Dennis Allen in his second go-round now as a head coach, not off to a great start. He's 1-3 and three for a Saints team, which I was high on at the beginning of the year. I thought they'd win the division. They got a lot of talent on that team. The good thing for New Orleans is they'll get healthy at some point. And Tampa Bay is not running away with this thing yet. Tampa's just two and two, so we'll keep uh, we'll keep our eyes on that race as we move forward. How about the Falcons? They go in. Uh, they win a game at home, twenty three twenty over the Browns. You want to call that a trap game? Call it whatever you want for Cleveland. But they had ten days off. Remember, they beat the Steelers on that Thursday night. They go down to Atlanta and are unable to solve the Falcons. Give Arthur Smith. And that team, a lot of credit. I thought the Falcons would be one of the worst in football this year. They're clearly rebuilding. They got a placeholder in Marcus Mariota as their quarterback, but they're now 2-2. Two and two, And the two games that the Falcons lost have been by a combined five points this year. So he's doing a nice job here, 2-2 two and two in the first quarter of the season. Cowboys, once again with Cooper Rush, they defeat the Commanders 25-10. to 10. Say it ain't so. Think of all the Monday morning quarterbacks that predicted doom and gloom when Dak Prescott went down in the season opener. Cowboys are finished. Cowboys are done. Oh, here goes another wasted season for Jerry. He's going to fire Mike McCarthy. Well, Cooper Rush has come in, and they have not skipped a beat. 
Cooper Rush becomes the first quarterback in Dallas Cowboys franchise history to win his first four starts. Remember, he had one last year, too. Couple that with the three of this season. 4-0 as a starting quarterback. So think about that. Staubach, Aikman, Romo, Danny White, Babe Laufenberg, um, you know, Drew Bledsoe, uh, Quincy Carter, any quarterback that the Cowboys have had have not started 4-0 until now in Cooper Rush. And after the game was over, he was crediting the guys on the other side of the ball. Yeah, they're the reason we're winning. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Those guys, I mean, 10 points in the NFL is pretty impressive, and they had really good field position all day, and our defense just kept them out of the end zone, kept getting off the field. As an offense, knowing that they have your back like that, it's huge. It's one of their messages is we have everyone's back. No doubt about it. And look, bottom line about the Cowboys, they've got the best pass rush in the National Football League. Their defense more than anything else is what's carried them. You sprinkle in a little bit of the running game. They ran it all over the Giants last week. Cowboys are 3-1, and one, and I still think Philadelphia is the best team in the division, but Dallas is not going away, and they're going to certainly have a lot to say about at least making this division interesting down the stretch as we move forward through the season. How about a wild one, a real wild one in Detroit? And you know what? I got burned on this one. I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I thought the Lions, and it's very rare that you get the Lions as a home favorite. That happens about as often as Haley's Comet does. But they get outscored yesterday, 48-45, to by Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's got a bad defense. They got a bad offense. They allowed almost 400 yards rushing the previous two weeks. But somehow they put 48 up on the Lions. And you know what? You can put the Lions in that category as well. They've got the worst defense. They got the highest scoring offense. But they're still 1-3. One of these days, you know all I ask for with the Lions? And probably a lot of other Americans feel the same way. Just give me a watchable football game on Thanksgiving. That's all I want out of the Lions each and every year. So the fact that they're in a 1-3 and three hole already to start the season, if you project that out to November, like what's the Lions record going to be come Turkey Day? Give me a game that I can actually sit there and be genuinely entertained by on Turkey Day. Because remember, the Giants are playing the Cowboys in the second game this year on Thanksgiving. But what's the appetizer? And aren't they play- who are they playing on Thanksgiving this year? The Lions playing the Bears. Because if that's the case, you talk about just, uh, you might as well put on horror movies for families to enjoy in its place. Um, Oh, the Bills. Okay, I mean, that's something different. You know, the Bills we know are going to be good. So what do I got to watch on Thanksgiving? I got to watch Josh Allen and company roll up 50 points on Thanksgiving. It'd be like a pilgrim massacre. But that's all right. Dan Campbell's a good quote. Uh, How about an AFC South matchup between the Titans and the Indianapolis Colts? Boy, the Colts have got to be one of the most head-scratching teams in the NFL. Titans go in there and get to 2-2. and Indianapolis, they just can't figure this thing out. I know Matt Ryan had a decent game yesterday, but the Colts have just one win this year. And, you know, I, I, I like Frank Reich. You know, I think he's a good coach. But last year, when the bottom fell out at Indianapolis late in the season, everybody was quick to point the finger at Carson Wentz, right? And they rode him out of town, sent him packing. He was the scapegoat. Well, Carson Wentz is gone, and yet this team still can't function. So who do you blame now? 
I know who Jim Irsay is going to blame if this thing doesn't change by the time the season ends. So that's something that certainly bears watching there. Philadelphia, we just talked about them. They're the best team in the NFC, folks. They're also the only unbeaten team left in football. They beat the Jaguars 29-21 to yesterday at home. It was a nasty game, rain-soaked game. Jaguars actually jumped out to a 14-0 lead, got a defensive touchdown. You're thinking, all right, hey, the elements, big equalizer. You know, keep the game a little bit closer. Doug Peterson playing his old team there in Philadelphia. A lot of the old Eagles came up and, you know, shook his hand, gave him hugs after the game. Because after all, I mean, the guy is the only Eagles head coach to win a Super Bowl. So he's got a statue outside the stadium and everything. Always going to have a home there. But at least on one day, his old team were rude hosts. Philly goes to 4-0 with that 29-21 victory. Wild one in Baltimore. And go figure this one out, right? The Ravens, just like they did the week before, had a three-score lead at home. At home. And if I would have told you that Baltimore would have that big of a lead in their building, you would think, oh, game, set, match, right? Well, Dolphins, we know what they did in the fourth quarter. Two and company putting up 28 points and stunning them the week before. Yesterday, Ravens built a 20-3 to lead against the Buffalo Bills in the rain, in the crappy weather, and Buffalo storms all the way back to win the game 23-20 to to shake off their loss the week before and improve to 3-1. and Baltimore's now 2 and They're like the Jets. Baltimore's 2-2. Two and two. They're 0-2 at home. Go figure. And the Ravens. How about this, guys? The Ravens, for the first time in the history of the franchise, have lost four consecutive games at home. Dates back to last year. Not good, but the the controversy in this game, you had about four minutes and nine seconds left. Ravens had the football at the two-yard line, a fourth and goal play. It's 20-all. You would think, all right, maybe the chippy field goal, give yourself a three-point lead, put the game in the hands of your defense. Nope. John Harbaugh instead decides to go for it. He puts the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands. Jackson gets picked off in the end zone. Ravens don't score. Buffalo takes it down the field, bleeds the clock, and kicks a game-winning field goal as time expires to stun them 23-20. to Before we get into it, let's hear from John Harbaugh on why he decided to go for it as opposed to kicking the easy field goal. I felt like he gave us the best chance to win the game. Because seven, the worst that happens is if they go down the field and score, and I think we'll get them stopped. But if they go down the field and score a touchdown, the worst thing that can happen is that you're in overtime. But you kick a field goal there, now it's not a three-down game anymore. It's a four-down game. And you're, you're putting them out there. You're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field. And a chance to, again, score seven, and then you, you lose the game on a touchdown. So then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball at the two-yard line. So I'm very confident in our defense. Defense's ability to stop them down there with the ball on the two-yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. But if you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. Look, I respect the process. I respect the analytics. And I know everybody is so geek-driven now in sports. It's not just in football. Certainly baseball is the front runners of that. You're seeing it in basketball, whatever. Here's how I look at it, and sometimes you have to put the computers and the spreadsheets and the calculators away when you're talking about sports. Sports is played by human beings, all right, not computers. The human element of that game, if I was the coach and I looked at it from my standpoint of my football team, here I am, I'm coaching the Ravens. I had a 20-3 to lead. Since I had a 20-3 to lead, 
Buffalo has scored 17 unanswered points. That is called a momentum shift. They have all of the momentum. If I kick that field goal there, yes, there's still enough time on the clock for Buffalo to go down the field and beat me. I get it. But at least for that time being, I have a lead. I recapture momentum in the football game. You know, I tell my defense, hey, guys, I have faith in you. I took the three because I think you won't let Josh Allen go all the way down the field and put the ball in the end zone. I'm doing you a solid. Instead, they turn the ball over, and the defense still lets them go right down the field, except they get the game-winning field goal. They don't have a cushion to fall back on, and they lose 23-20. to And now the Ravens are 2-2 two and two in that division. Odd game. You're not going to see something like that every time. I think you like the fight from Buffalo, certainly. But as far as uh, Baltimore is concerned, boy, that is um, that's a bad one. That really and truly is a bad one. Chargers take care of the Texans. They beat them 34-24. to Give Herbert credit. He's playing with the banged-up rib. Still goes out there and slices up the Texans. Houston's a bad football team. They're the only winless team left in football. They do have a tie to show for it, but uh, it is still not a victory. Cardinals beat the Panthers 26-16. to um, You take Kyler Murray over Baker Mayfield any day of the week. Panthers are bad. Matt Rule said today that he's sticking with Baker Mayfield as his quarterback. But the story that came out of it, how about J.J. Watt, who tweeted out like early in the afternoon yesterday that he had to he had to have like the the paddles and had to have his like heart, uh, you know, uh, revived or something like that earlier in the day. And you're thinking, what? And then he went out and played or earlier in the week. And then he still went out there and played football? Like we're sitting here making a big deal about Tua being cleared to play. How about this guy? That's normal. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but here was J.J. Watt afterwards talking about his heart condition. Um, I mean, I really didn't want to talk about it, so I'm not overly happy, uh, obviously, with only people in the room, my family and people in the building. So somebody said something on Wednesday. My heart was beating weird. When God checked out, I had AFib. So Thursday, they shocked it back to rhythm. I talked to cardiologists, electrophysiologists from all over the country. Um, I was assured multiple times from multiple people that there's nothing else you could do. I mean, go back and play like normal. Said it could happen again the next day. It could happen never again in 20 years. So I was assured multiple times. So I went back to practice Friday, practiced, and um, here we are. Obviously, it's been a very emotional week for my family, for my wife, for myself. All right, so here's what Watt tweeted out. This was yesterday. I was just told somebody leaked some personal information about me, and it's going to be reported on today. I went into AFib on Wednesday, had my heart shocked back into rhythm on Thursday, and I'm playing today. That's it. Okay. You know what? Doctors, they know what they're talking about, but that to me sounds pretty scary. Glad that, you know, he was able to come through it okay, and you hope that there aren't any ramifications from it. But certainly, you don't mess around with something like that, anything heart-related. Uh, 800-919-3776. We come back, your phone calls, and we'll finish going around the league for what was a, white, a week four in the NFL. Dan Gross' show till 10 on an overreaction Monday on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Yankees lead the Rangers 3-1. They're in the bottom of the ninth. Judge did not get that last at bat. Marwin Gonzalez made the final out of the ninth. Judge was stranded as the on-deck hitter. So unless Texas scores two runs here and forces extra innings, Judge is still going to be stuck on 61, and he'll have three more opportunities to break that record because, remember, the Yankees got a doubleheader tomorrow, uh, and then they'll finish it out on Wednesday 
afternoon. Real quick on the uh, finish up the around the league from yesterday in the National Football League. Broncos go into Vegas and the Raiders get themselves their first victory of the season. They roll up 32 points in this one. Denver scores 23, which is about as good as you can expect from that offense, but the defense is what let them down. Broncos haven't won a game on the road. They're 2-2. Two and two. Raiders are in the win column. They are 1-3. and three. How about the Patriots? You know what? Give the Pats credit, seriously. Or maybe this is just a reflection on what the Packers really are this year. Patriots go into Lambeau yesterday, down Mac Jones. Brian Hoyer was going to start. Brian Hoyer gets knocked out of the game with a head injury. Bailey Zappi. Rookie quarterback out of Western Kentucky, who I actually liked coming out of school and out of the draft. I mean, I remember, I think, even like putting some out there on draft day. Watch Bailey Zappi be like the next great quarterback for the New England Patriots that nobody ever thought anything of. But he got pressed into duty, helped get the game to overtime before Rodgers and company pull it out on a field goal, 27-24. to Rodgers and his guys are still finding their way offensively, still very much in the getting-to-know-you phase of the relationship with his wide receivers. They'll be fine. And more importantly, when you look at that division in the NFC North, I mean, I know Minnesota's 3-1, and one, but I don't think Minnesota's that good. Packers will win the division. They'll have enough time to go out there and sort some things out in terms of what they need to do to get right before uh, things are all said and done here when you talk about the money-making portion of the season with the playoffs. And lastly, on Sunday night, what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs other than people that were dumb enough to count out Kansas City despite the fact you had number 15 as the quarterback? I I, I mean, you need your head examined. And he's reminding everybody, you know what? We might have lost Tyreek Hill. We might have lost this person, whatever. I'm still here, and I'm still really, really good. And you know what? You take Patrick Mahomes almost ahead of anybody in the National Football League in right now the all-important quarterback position. They put up 41 last night on that Tampa defense in Tampa, and they rolled a 3-1. and one. Remember, Kansas City should be 4-0 right now. You know, they lost that game last week in Indianapolis because of special teams breakdowns more than anything else. Muff punt, uh, you know, a, a missed extra point, uh, a, a fake kick that went awry, you know, just dumb mistakes that were uncharacteristic or else they'd be undefeated. And Tampa, you know, I I know they're not 100% right now, but and Brady threw for almost 400 yards, played a good game, all this thing, but something is off. Something is amiss. When you talk about the Buccaneers, the luxury that Tampa has right now is their division stinks. They're two and two and they're still tied for first place. They'll still find a way to get it done when everything is settled and everything is decided. So that is our around the league right now in the NFL. Yankees win. They get that final out. So they win it three to one. Judge, no home run yet again this evening. 800-919-3776. We'll close it out with you on the phones. Tino in Staten Island. He's up next here on 987 ESPN. Tino, how we doing? Dan, good evening. How are you, my brother? Tino, we are outstanding. What's up with you? How's things? Yeah, I just came out of the gym. My ritual to always call you when I leave the gym. Nice. My tradition. Uh, it's, all, it's my favorite to always get in touch with you late in the evening before your show ends. Dan, quickly on the Jets. Uh, ecstatic about the win. Uh, defense played lights out. But, you know, I got to look at the negatives, too. The negatives are the coaching has to get better, Dan. And it starts with Mike LaFleur. It starts with the uh, offense. Um, it starts with Robert Sala. 
the quarterback's coach, Dan, please explain to me when you're up 10-3 in mm-hmm. the second quarter, you're driving, you're in field goal range at the 30-yard line. Why is Zach not coached to throw the ball away or run the ball there? You're going to get the ball to start the third quarter. You're going to go up 13-3 to because Greg's probably going to hit that field goal. But you, you throw a ball into double or triple coverage. Dan, that's coaching. That's basic coaching. He's got to be coached better. You cannot be making those mistakes. You know, it, 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 it's unacceptable to me. Listen, I, I'm happy we won. You know what I mean? I'm a diehard Jeff. And as long as, you, as long as you know, I'm a diehard Knicks fan first. But these things have to be cleaned up. It, it's inexcusable to me that he's not coached there to run. You're not running the ball there or you're not throwing the ball there away. And then quickly on the Knicks, then if I might. Let, let, let me stop you real quick, Tino. Yeah, go before, ahead. Before, we get, to the, before go ahead. we get to the Knicks stuff, here's the thing about that interception, go. right? I, I, it was a bad read by Zach. I don't think it's coaching. All right, Zach got a little too anxious at that point because Sutton, who ended up picking off the pass, he was in single coverage on one of the receivers. I forgot who it was. And Zach didn't see him because he only saw the other defenders in the area around Jeff Smith. Sutton came off of his read, intercepted the ball. That just comes with experience. You know, it, it was a bad throw, bad read, but I agree. In that situation, you don't want to get too greedy. You want to live to see another down yeah. and just stay for the field goal. Dan, run the ball, Dan. Run the ball. Get an extra two, three yards with Bryce Hall or Michael Carter. Get a little, Make it a little easier field goal for Greg Zerline. You go into the half up three, ten, uh, 10-3, but what happens is they come back, we get a dumb penalty on hitting the quarterback, and then they kick a 59-yard 59, 59 field goal. Then you go up four at the half, and you lose momentum. It just changes the whole complexion of the game, and these things need to be cleaned up. But quickly on the Knicks, Dan, I was just yeah. wondering, are you doing the pre- and post-game for the Knicks games? We'll be doing them, yep, absolutely. Oh, awesome. Good. Looking forward to hearing that. You know the first game is tomorrow. Well, we not don't do the, no we're not doing the preseason one, just you know, regular season. Okay, cool. Cool. Looking forward to that. You know, I know. I don't know if you're going to be catching the, uh, the first preseason game tomorrow, but I'll definitely be glued to it just to see the guys back in action. I'm so looking forward to it. Absolutely, you should. Tino, you good know? phone call as always, my friend. Appreciate you. Um, I don't know if we'll be into the preseason NBA uh, tomorrow. We still might be on baseball watch, maybe depending. Probably, well, probably going to be on Judge Watch still. Um, Yankee doubleheader, I think tomorrow. It's it's two o'clock. An 8 o'clock, I want to say. It's a day-night vehicle. Mets, meantime, they have a straight doubleheader beginning at 4, so we'll still probably be consumed a little bit with the baseball. But, yeah, look, if it's on, pop it on for a few minutes, check it out. But it's the preseason stuff is tough to get a hold of. You know, to, to be fair, same thing with football, spring training baseball, the hockey. The ba- it's, it's tough. But I'm looking forward to the real thing. Looking forward to it starting for real. And Rangers, a week from tomorrow, October the 11th, And then the Knicks a week after that, I think the 19th on that Wednesday is the season opener. So it is happening, man. It is. It is like here. It is a thing. Let's say hi to Richard. He is in Manhattan. He is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Rich? Hi, Dan. You know, you didn't mention the most important fact. Merwin Gonzalez made the last out with Judge on deck in the top of the ninth. And the Texas fans were booing. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I didn't hear. Obviously, I couldn't hear the crowd because I'm doing a little radio. Program. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah. the funniest. I'm listening to John Sterling, and I thought that was good. I thought that was very good. Uh, I don't think. Oh, by the way, two great games yesterday: the Jets and Giants. Boy, they were entertaining. If they play like that every year, each year, both of the teams, 
uh, even if they lose, you won't hear fans complaining because those were, those were great games. They're competitive games. They're fun to watch. Wins are wins, th- Richard. Wins are wins. Wins are wins, but entertainment, too, is important, too. Even entertaining losses aren't that bad, you know, I, at least for me. I love watching good games. It doesn't matter when or lose, you know, intriguing games. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Dan, as far as the Mets go, everyone's painting the picture that they're going to be finished. I don't think they're finished, but I'm, I'll say this. they got to play San Diego and win both games. Get rid of San Diego quickly. They'll have a day off after regular season, and then they'll have two days off before they face the Dodgers. Now, let's say they win game one with the Grom. Mm-hmm. They may not have to go with Scherzer in game two. They can go with either Bassett, and if they really want to be daring, go with Walker, knowing that you can use Scherzer in game three and praying that you don't need to go to game three, but then you can use Scherzer to start game one against the Dodgers. Now, if they win them both against San Diego, that's a good thing. You go into the Dodgers on momentum, on a good upward swing. Dodgers are sitting there six days. I don't think that's good. Major League Baseball made a mistake. Six days off is too much. Four should be the max. After that, I don't think it's an advantage anymore. And it's, it's been shown in baseball. I remember a few years back, Colorado won their league fair. And then they got swept, I think, by the Cardinals. Red Sox. And, oh, Red Sox. That's Red Sox it. Boy, swept you got them in the memory. World Series. That was it, right. And they were playing great ball, Colorado. But they sat around for a week or eight days or something. So I don't think it's a big advantage at all for the Dodgers. Of course you'd rather have Mets, the Mets have not had, to, had the extra layer. But those, if they can get rid of San Diego quickly without too much stress and strain at home like that, that gives them momentum to go into the Dodgers. And that may be a good thing. We'll see. And then again, all they have to do, and that's a big thing, is split against the Dodgers you come back to New York, and hey, anything can happen, right? I mean, you know uh, what you, you, know what you want, Richard? And, and yeah. uh, thank you for the phone call. Thank I got to hit a quick break. Thank you. Appreciate you. Here, you know what you want? This weekend, too bad the weather wasn't what it is like today. I mean, obviously, minus the rain, but if it's like raw, frigid, cold night for those games, you think a team from sunny Southern California wants to come play in that crap this time of year? That's what home field advantage is about. Richard made some interesting points. I want to get to them, and I'll tell you why actually some sort of a layoff could be good for a couple of Mets in particular and how it could help them. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. You know, back to what Richard was talking about with the layoff and the Mets and, the, and you know, the configurations of the rotation. And if you're just joining us, the Braves lost tonight. They uh, mailed one in in Miami against the Marlins by the score of 4 nothing, So, the dream still lives, however improbable it might be, for at least another day. Mets were rained out. They'll play a doubleheader tomorrow. But they still have a chance. Now they're only uh, a game and a half behind the Atlanta Braves in the National League. He's still going to get used to saying that. It just doesn't compute because it hasn't been all year. But um, What gives me pause, as I said at the beginning of the show, and if you missed it, you could go back and listen to the podcast, of course, on our app and the website, on our show page, it's there. The reason my confidence is waning now for the Mets, despite what happened this weekend, is because the two guys that you were so reliant on to get you over the hump and were going to be the difference makers and what was going to set the Mets apart from all these other teams were DeGrom and Scherzer. They had a DeGrom and Scherzer and nobody else did. 
When Al DeGrom has had two stinkers in a row and certainly looks vulnerable. Max Scherzer, on the other hand, had a stinker the other night in Atlanta. And then the next day, I got to see Max Scherzer, and I, despite, I, and I, I, you know, I commend him and, and, you know, for the transparency. But I got to read Max Scherzer telling Mike Puma in the New York Post that, you know, my arm is a little fatigued. And, you know, it's, it's not just the oblique, and I got to worry about my arm being a little fatigued. It's like, oh, oh great, wonderful, super. Let's not forget that that was also something that plagued Max Scherzer last year when he was with the Dodgers late in the season and into the playoffs. So now this is all happening, and so I'm thinking in my head, maybe Scherzer is a guy, instead of the guy who has the notorious reputation of being a bulldog for the bulk of his career, maybe he's somebody that now Buck Showalter and company have to monitor and, and, and can try to spell him as much as possible and give him as much rest as he needs. As crazy as it sounds now this time of year, meaning he's not going to pitch this series. When did he pitch on Saturday? All right, so let's say you pitch him game two. That would be on Saturday. That's a week between starts. That is a good cushion, is it not? But he pitched Sunday in Oakland and then came back the following Saturday in Atlanta. So now you give him one extra day. Is that going to make a lot of a difference? Is that going to put him, you know, at, at a competitive edge to where you're going to go out there and get like top Max Scherzer? You hope so. You hope. But I don't know how realistic it is. That's where my concern lies. But in a perfect world, you know what? Win the first two games. If it's San, I don't sweat San Diego. I really don't. If they got to come all the way to the East Coast, so be it. Win Friday, win Saturday, and then you rest up for a couple of days and get ready to take on the Dodgers. And I'll tell you something. If you want to be glass half full, if you want to be optimistic, when you're handicapping the National League field right now, the team that I want no part of is the team you just saw this weekend. I think the Atlanta Braves are the best team, not the Dodgers. I've been hot and cold on the Dodgers all year. I don't love their starting rotation. I know that Urias has had a sensational second half. I know Kershaw's been a little bit better. Gonsolin has just been reactivated off the IL. He's pitching tonight, but he's missed so much time. You know, I don't know what I'm getting from that rotation in the playoffs. Yeah, the lineup is good, but I know what I'm getting from Atlanta, and I know that that team has no fear this time of year. That Atlanta team is more battle-tested than this Dodger team. And I don't care that the Dodgers have been to the playoffs in like nine straight years. I don't care. This Atlanta team, and what have you done for me lately, world? They just won the damn trophy last year. And they've been the best team in baseball for the last four months. And that, to me, counts a hell of a lot going into the most important games. Does it not?